Hey, it's Kristen. Curious love. You know where you are by now. Okay, so something unexpected has happened, and darn it if it doesn't make for a fantastic finale to this adventure we've been on. My name is Tammy Sheckley. It's been a few months since I talked to Tammy, the matchmaker, but she reaches out. Turns out she thinks I might be a good match for her client and wants to schedule us on a date. I am the gay and lesbian matchmaker. Oh, yeah. And the client Tammy wants to set me up with is a woman. Tammy and I were introduced when I went in search of a matchmaker here in Southern California for this podcast. When I found one, I asked them out of curiosity whether they did same-sex matching, and they didn't, but they did say they'd put me in contact with someone who did. Enter Tammy. I also own, operate, I'm the founder of H4M Matchmaking. That's H4M.com. I met my husband through a matchmaker, and now I help the LGBTQ population find their special someone. Now, right off the bat, I find it amusing and more than a little confusing to discover that Tammy is based not in California, but in Texas, a place near and dear to my heart because I went to school there. But it's not exactly where you naturally think of the gay and lesbian matchmaker. You're in Dallas. And why, as I'm sitting here in Southern California, do I have to be calling halfway across the country to speak to a women seeking women matchmaker? So when I started this company, Same Sex Matchmaking, six years ago, I was stunned as a straight ally to realize that the certified matchmaker industry really had not yet embraced the same-sex matchmaking um, niche, and I couldn't understand why. I did research, one-on-one focus group interviews with gay men, one-on-one focus group interviews with lesbian women of all ages, socioeconomic backgrounds, demographics. Um, to see what they're looking for and how's it working with that online app or uh, online dating site. Yeah, because I feel like online apps and that kind of thing have almost been so geared towards that as opposed to the matchmaking realm. Right. They have uh, have uber embraced the LGBTQ population. But what was interesting is offline personal matchmakers as professionals um, had a fear, I think, or an uncertainty about how does same-sex matching work. And so as a result, I decided to, whether it's my calling or um, my honoriness, I decided I'm going to research the hell out of this and figure this out. Why Why does it not really exist? So it became my life's mission that someone needed to take the time on a daily basis to truly understand the niche of same-sex attraction and same-sex dating, what's different about it, and who can dedicate their entire business to it. And I'm one of the only ones that, that will and do. And as a result, I have clients coast to coast because there really is no one else to hire based on what you're looking for. And then you had mentioned that you had started um, as a matchmaker for gay men and that naturally you began picking up some women in the mix and that recently that's actually had quite an uptick. And I'm just wondering, I'm interested in that. I mean, are you seeing a commonality among these women looking for, looking for commit for committed partnerships all of a sudden? Well, I'll tell you, when I designed the company six years ago, I I said we would start with matching gay men first, then continue our research with the women, and then launch the women's company. It took me longer to launch it than I thought, but very quickly, within two years, it's become 50% of my business. I feel like there's also just been such a trend lately of uh, high-profile women who are leaving marriages and not 
self-identified gay, not self-identified lesbian, and find themselves in love or partnering with girlfriends. And and I just, I'm kind of amazed by that because I don't know. I like to, I like to feel like maybe, maybe I'm a bit of a trend. Like I like to feel like maybe I'm not totally, this is something that's happening on a larger scale than just in my little confused mind. I think what is on trend is self-awareness and truly self-discovery, but it's also permission. It's permission to be as flawed, as faulty, as, um, as complicated as we need to be. Not all of us has it all figured out. We're just doing the best we can. And, but I, I think if you're supposed to be with your person, you should. In my experience, if we throw out to the universe that we actually want something, God will drop it in our lap like a throwdown challenge. Really? You say you want this? Prove it. Well, Tammy has someone she thinks could be my person. Challenge has been thrown. I am not about to run away from the call. All right, then. Moment of truth. Time to put my money where my data is. I can theorize until the day I die about who I'm going to fall in love with. But at some point, I have to actually put the theory into practice. I have to enter relationships and practice being in them with clear and stated intention that they're romantic in nature. I have to date. But I've never done this before, as you know. So since I've got an expert right here at my disposal, I'm certainly going to ask some practical questions. When it does come to the actual act of going on a date and and doing the courting, because obviously I come from the Midwest, courting looks like a very specific thing, kind of, you know, from what I grew up with. Is our rules different with women? When a woman is out with a woman, are there just different languages being spoken? Or are there different, you know, needs being met? Or is it right. different? What, what's the, what do I need to know? <laughs> Arm me, Tammy. Let me yes. know what I need to know. Well, I, I mean, as a straight ally, I'm sure you can imagine, I learn from my clients. I research a lot. I read a lot. And I learn from my clients. There are women that when they interview with me will say, I hope that they... Um, are um, mannerly. I love to have my door open for me, or I hope we walk out to the car together. I hope we hug goodnight because I'm really a physical person. Women will describe what they feel like, oh, I hope I feel this. To me, it's about love languages, and those aren't gender specific. I mean, there are times my husband will open my door, and I think that's not necessary, but that gesture for him meant a lot. So my gesture when we get home is, honey, let me fix you a hot tea, or can I pour you a glass of wine? Those gestures aren't gender specific. That is simply paying attention to your partner and being reciprocal in the things that they do for you. Can you reciprocate with an equal gesture that lets them know that felt good? I'm acknowledging that you were so sweet to have opened my door. Let me pour you a glass of wine. They both want it, but they enjoy giving it. So to me, it's ideal when it's reciprocal. I have that thought of having to sit down with someone new and say, Okay, yeah, no, actually, you're the first woman I've ever sat down and had a date with, or you're the first kiss I've ever had. Or like, it just seems like so ridiculous at my age. Well, you're leading with your resume on dating, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't lead with your resume on dating. Okay. I would lead with being present, uh, being intentional about what you want in your life, but not, not bringing, okay, here is my receipt of everything I've done and not done up to this point. That's not first date conversation. A lot of it's setting the stage. So, so one example is keeping the first date short. 
No more than two drinks, no more than two hours. You should want walk away wanting to know more about you. And women tend to stay long. So we have our rules about walk away, walk away. You don't want to talk about everything, including who's a cancer survivor in your family on the first date. It's, it's too heavy. It's too much. So keeping it light, wanting, walking away, wanting to know more about them than ideally you. Second date, have it be active, not sitting at a table, not sitting across from each other. Get out, walk and talk, stroll, uh, window shop, uh, pop into a gallery, you know, go for ice cream. I mean, just something so out of the ordinary that it feels like you're just hanging out and that's comfortable conversation. So here's one key thing that's so important. I coach all of my clients. The anthropologists that we follow, like Dr. Helen Fisher out of New York says, It takes four good dates or hanging out four times with someone new to even begin to determine whether you could see them in your life or not. So don't lead with the first date sharing everything. Assume you're going to have four dates with this new person. How much do you feel like sharing and asking and learning on the first date? If it leads to a second date, now how much more do you feel comfortable wanting to know about them and them about you? And say that, you know, the hardcore stuff, the heavy, heavy material um, until the fourth date. Because if you're not even leading to the fourth date, why did you need to dump all that out on the first date? Have you seen much cold feet? Like, do people get all gung-ho and are working with you and suddenly they meet someone and oh, this could really be the person and there's just a freak out moment. Like, I feel like I have those now just thinking about it. Oh, you would not believe how often that happens. And here's, there's a couple of reasons why it happens. One of the reasons is people love the chase. Those who love to chase, they're hunters, they're gatherers, they're in for the chase. And when they catch the other person, they're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, so now this is it? Like, I'm no longer chasing you. The, the adrenaline from the chase was so much fun. But now we get to slow down and let's, let's work on this being a relationship. So people do have a little freak out about it because the, the chase is fun, you know, especially if you're a really eligible single and everybody's darling and people are chasing you too. It's the catch that sometimes throws people for a loop. And that's why we do relationship coaching, not just dating coaching, because, um, I mean, if they're meant to be your person, what's the rush? What's the rush? Let's just slowly enjoy this process, getting to know each other and see where this goes. But it doesn't have to be an immediate overnight response or reaction. You're taking the steps to do it. I mean, your project is wildly admirable on how you're taking on this challenge. But at the same time, I would encourage you, it's not all going to be perfect. You're not going to have the perfect solution. And now I find my person. You're going to be on the path. And she or he or whomever is going to pop right in there and you guys are going to figure it out together. Okay, so no perfect solution, as always, but whatever my solution ultimately is, it starts with one step. One date. This date. It's time to take my curiosity out of the realm of the head and drop it into the landscape of the heart. It's time to get out of the lab and go into the field and start participating in the grand experiment of dating and romance. Tammy tells me a little bit about the woman I'll be meeting, very little. 
I get her first name, age, a genre of career, and some likes. Oh, and a few points of background that actually seem really familiar. They're similar to my own. A few days after our call, Tammy's assistant reaches out to compare schedules so she can find a day that works to set up lunch for us. She tells me that she's landed on a Saturday, two weeks from now. I put it in my calendar. It's the day before the date, and I'm sent the address of the restaurant. We're going to be meeting somewhere between where she and I live. And I'm given a number that I should call in case I'm running late. Seems simple enough. Saturday morning, I wake up and follow my usual routine. Coffee and cuddles with my kid, the gym, shower, pay some bills. Strange for Southern California, it happens to be raining this morning, so I leave myself a little extra time to make the 40-minute drive to the restaurant. As I hit the freeway, I take a sort of internal inventory. Am I anxious? No. Nervous? Nope. Does this feel momentous, like it's about to change things in a way that they can never go back to being unchanged? I expect there to be some of this, but there's really very little internal drama to be found. Am I excited? No, not really. Should I be worried? that I'm not excited? Shoot, maybe. Why don't I feel excited? Okay, does some part of me not want to do this? I check in. No fear, no dread, no irritation or feeling like I'm dragging myself into something. That's how I used to feel in my late 20s going on all these Match.com dates that I did. Thinking about those dates actually Those were like seven, eight years ago. And there's almost a feeling of similarity, familiarity to what's going on right now. It's something I associate with that time, those dates, back when um, no matter how hard I tried, every date with every guy just felt like this kind of perfunctory exercise, a bit like taking my medicine. Okay, wait, there's something, there's something there. The perfunctory exercise thing. It's born of this kind of feeling of, um, like, why, why bother? Why do this? Nothing ever comes of them. It's like this feeling that dates are just this, like, waste of two hours with a stranger that I'm never going to see again before just going back to my normal, unchanged life. Um. Okay, so there's some part of me that assumes that my life, that this state of singleness, it's just immutable. Like, it's, it's just never going to change. I've never seen that before, so that's kind of amazing. I can see that now, though. The sky is blue, the sun rises in the east, and I will never be in a relationship. Huh. At the end of every day, I think have always, I've just assumed, I've just known that I was going to go back to my life as it was, unchanged, unpartnered. I had no idea that this was the unconscious belief system that's been running the show. Everything we've been doing here, all the trying to figure out how and who to partner with, it's led me to right now. It's like I've had to clear all these other apparent blocks to find my person. 
And those blocks kept getting bigger and bigger. You know, the, the inexperience, the physical sexuality, the potential rejection, the rejection from church, from parents. All of these obstacles that we've cleared together through the past weeks and months, and it's, it's gotten me to this moment. Driving to a real-life date with a real-life other human being with real potential and clear intentions and finding out that the last door at the end of the hallway is really just my own unconscious belief that I'm simply not ever going to find love. (laughs) That's awesome. I feel like... It's like I've hit a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and, and just in the, nick of the, in the nick of time. I'm driving there right now and I get to see this. Okay, um, so how, what do I, what do I do? How do I keep, how do I keep this little shadowy, mysterious belief system from blowing up my future loves? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend the next 20 minutes of this drive. Um, okay, I'm gonna find. I'm gonna actively punch this belief in the face. <laughs> I'm. I'm going to. I'm gonna start imagining all sorts of other possible outcomes of today's date. I don't want any of them to be that I go back to my life and everything is exact is exactly as it's always been. Um, so what are all kinds of things that could happen? I could fall in love at first sight. She could be a serial killer. I could end up more interested in the waitress than I am in her. We could find out we're second cousins or become really dear friends and I could end up marrying her cousin. She could get a call in the middle of the meal informing her she's been chosen for the next mission to the space station and our love I just keep going and going. The more ridiculous, the better. By the time I pull up to the restaurant, the assumption that I'm going to be forever single, it has, if not disappeared completely, it, it certainly seems ridiculous and diminished. It's become just one of an infinite number of outcomes today. And I gotta say... I'm feeling a little giddy at the sense of freedom that it gives me as I get out of my car and cross the parking lot. I'm not a victim, not of circumstance, not of my upbringing or my own unconscious or hardwiring, not of my past or my imagined futures. I'm just a girl right here, right now, making the choice to walk in this door and go on a date. You know, when we started this quest, I thought the challenge was going to be to overcome my history. That's how I had it framed in my mind. And maybe, in a way, I did need to do that in order to see that my history is just that. It's in the past. I'm in the right now, and it doesn't get to dictate my future. I do. I paused at the door to the restaurant ready to meet whatever's coming next. And I take one last inventory of things. I'm feeling simply (laughs) curious. 
sit down and have conversations with me for this season. My experts and sexperts, Tammy Shackley, Dr. Duena Welch, and Kim Bryson. And hey there, friend, listener. After all this, if you're interested in hearing more about how we ended up on this little adventure together, you can now pick up a copy of my book, For Real, The Overthinker's Guide to Love, a story of real-life experiments turned practical wisdom. Think of it as the prequel to this podcast, you know, in case you don't want this ride to end right now. And thank you, friend, for hanging with me all season and holding this container. May we all go out into the world a little more curious.